everyone. Welcome to So Good Sisterhood. I'm your host, Julie Mullins, and my husband Todd and I pastor Christ Fellowship Church together. The So Good Sisterhood is a podcast that is all about investing in every girl from every generation. It's this opportunity to have relevant conversations every single month about living intentionally, leading confidently, and loving generously. And hopefully it will leave you saying, that was so good. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the So Good Podcast. We are so glad that you're jumping on today. Hey, I just want to take a minute to thank you for listening and supporting the podcast and spreading the word. We absolutely love hearing from you. So make sure you leave a comment and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the future episodes and updates and some fun giveaways we have in the days ahead. Okay, so this series of episodes is entitled Follow the Leader. It's more than a game. It's a difference maker because who you follow follow and how you lead who is following you, it matters. These episodes are all about the courage and the confidence that we can have as women who lead in our careers, in our family, on our school campuses, and in our churches. I sat down this week with a good friend of mine, Sarah Keller. Sarah and her husband, Matt, they pastor Next Level Church in Southwest Florida. And just a few weeks ago, their community was devastated when Hurricane Ian wiped out thousands of homes and businesses and claimed the lives of 119 people. In the face of so much chaos, their church, as well as so many in the community, and especially in the faith community, have really led the way in the post-storm efforts. This conversation is pretty raw. There were a few tears, and we talk about the fact that even though you can't always be ready for a tragedy, we can be prepared to step up. Sarah talks about the practices and the relationships that positioned them to bring light into one of Florida's darkest moments in our history. I really believe this conversation is going to be an equipping conversation spiritually, but also practically. We're going to share some ways that you can be a part of making a difference in the lives of people who have lost so much. So let's jump into today's conversation. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And I am so excited today because I have one of my dearest friends, on the planet, (laughs) Pastor Sarah Keller, and she and her husband, Matt, lead at Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Oh, it's such an honor to be here with you, Pastor Julie. I just love you, and I love your church, and it's great to be here. Well, we're so excited to have you here, and this is a really special day because um, you had to kind of break away to even get here, but you're here um, speaking at a conference today, and we're just so excited to be able to start this conversation. But, you know, Sarah, this whole season is about leading, following the leader, that it's not just a game, because who you follow and how you lead those who follow you is really a difference maker, and you are really a difference maker. But I would love for you to just share with our listeners just a little bit of your journey as a leader in the church, and, you know, just share a little bit about what you have done and what you're doing now at Next Level Church. Well, when I was 20 24, and my husband was 26. We moved from Indiana, the only home we had ever known, uh, packed up our 
Ryder truck and our 18-month-old son and moved to Southwest Florida with a dream in our heart to plant a church, but not a lot of money. We had (laughs) $9,200 to our name and no clue what we were doing. And honestly, for me, I didn't see myself as a leader. I knew that God had called me into ministry, but I just saw myself as a doer. And so leadership has been an ongoing journey. We just celebrated 20 years as a church, and I think it was in year one that uh, my husband challenged me instead of just doing all of the work, what if you actually delegated and taught someone else how to do that? And I said, (laughs) what? And he said, yeah, that's leadership. And so my role has looked different over 20 years, but currently now I lead right beside my husband. We are co-leaders together. He's the lead pastor. I'm the co-lead pastor. And it's just an honor to not only lead our church, but to now lead a network of churches as well. That's amazing. (laughs) And you guys do lead together, but you also have your lanes that you both run in. So tell me about your lane that you're running in in this season. Yes. So I lead our executive team. There are six of us, including my husband, but I lead the four gentlemen (laughs) that are directly underneath me. And I lead our staff. And I also lead our sisterhood culture, much like you have learned so much from you as well. And, And then I lead the leaders within our network because we have brotherhood groups and sisterhood groups for our churches. So I lead those courageous women who are also leading other women too. Wow, that's amazing. And you also teach some on the weekends, but you guys have been leading strong over the last 20 years. But if you have been watching the news at all, you might have noticed that, that in this season, you guys have been leading through a very unexpected season. So I mentioned that Sarah and Matt lead a church in Fort Myers, Florida, and on September 27th, something happened that actually has changed the course yeah. of your church, your community, and even your leadership. So this is when the day that Hurricane Ian hit Fort Myers, Florida, was right at the center of the yeah. storm. And why don't you just share a little bit about just what happened before the storm and maybe a little bit what happened in the storm and just walk us through what it was yeah. like to be in the center of that storm. Yeah, over honestly, it was so unexpected that we took a direct hit. Monday, we kind of gathered our staff together and just kind of shared the plan just in case, a just in case we had any after effects from Hurricane Ian kind of a plan. But it was Monday night, September 26, that we honestly just thought we were going to get a tropical depression. There was no indication that we were going to take anywhere near a direct hit. And so on Tuesday, we woke up and the storm hit kind of shifted our direction just a touch more. And my husband and I said, we should probably put up our storm shutters and really tell all of our staff they probably should too. And so that day, every three hours, every single time the weather channel would update it, it got a little closer to us, Mm -hmm. a little closer to us. And so we just kept preparing our homes and our church buildings all day Tuesday and got water and cash and, you know, just kind of sprung into action. But it honestly hit really quick. The storm got bigger and it got stronger, and it just kept turning our direction. And by Wednesday morning, we were taking a direct hit. It was a Category 4. It came onto our shores, almost a 5, really. And so we we personally rode the storm out in our home, right. like so many others did. And we had our 19-year-old son with us and mom who lives with us as well. Our home itself was not in a flood zone, so right. we felt confident we weren't under a 
mandatory evacuation. But it was a crazy day that mm-hmm. day on Wednesday. And it felt very unexpected. We kept using the word surreal. Like, is this happening? Right. Is this how ha- we lost power at about 10 in the morning on Wednesday? And it was like, we've already lost power and the storm hasn't even really hit us yet. So it was really unexpected. <laughs> right, right. And so you guys weathered the storm your home because it was a little bit off the coast, did not get much damage. But a lot of people in your church and your community yeah. did not fare quite as well. So can you just take us through a little bit of it, the aftermath? Yeah. After the storm had passed, what you experienced and what some of your church family experienced? Yeah, for us, we lost you know our TV and cell service and all of that that day. But we came out late that night and kind of walked around at about 10 or 10.30 at night. So the storm had been about a 12-hour storm. And when we walked out of our neighborhood, we we're like, okay, our neighborhood's not that bad. I mean, trees down everywhere and our lanai screen's gone. And uh, But it was like, it's not that bad. And we didn't really know until the next day and really didn't know actually for a few days just how bad it had hit our shores. 90% of people were without power. Our entire water main grid was broken. And so people didn't have water. You, there was no water to even turn on. It wasn't just not drinkable. There was no water. There was no power. And that storm surge had come in so strong, it had 12 to 18 feet level water. And so our barrier islands were damaged. So many low-lying areas, even within our city in Fort Myers, were damaged. In the aftermath, those couple of days afterward, the Coast Guard and police officers, they had to rescue over 2,400 people wow. from their attics, from their roofs. I mean, stuff that you think in your mind like, this is happening in our city? Like, I remember when this happened in Hurricane Katrina, and you you kind of have that sense of, well, there's history that's happening right here and right now. There were so many people who started to tell us stories about swimming to their neighbors who had second-story homes uh, to just to, to be able to live. So they, they would have died if they couldn't have swam, but they were swimming. And the days following the storm, as we kind of sprung into action and started serving and started to hear the stories, because we couldn't even see TV yet. Right, you, right. you don't have cell service. You don't, right. you don't really know what's going on. You just start hearing stories, and you're like, what? Right. You swam to your neighbor's house to— uh, you And know, these are people that you know. Yes. I mean, this wasn't just like on the <laughs> no, news. These no. are people that you are— Yes. personal friends with pe- yes. members of your team. And so yes. this was this had to be now, just— One of our worship team members was on Sanibel Island and couldn't get a hold of her. And finally, by day four, she uh, was able to kind of get out and say, hey, I'm here, I'm safe, I'm awaiting a ferry. Day four. Day four, you know, mm-hmm. still waiting to be rescued. So, yeah, these are real people. But honestly, like, the other part of the aftermath was just that we got to— bring into action and just yeah. begin to serve. And I got some generators going because we didn't have power, but just assessed our own church buildings. And two of them had complete holes through the roof and all of that, but two of them were good. And right. it's like, all right, mm-hmm. let's start serving out of the two that we can. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was miraculous just how God started to send us partnerships and people. And we set up a command center on that Thursday, the day after the storm, And by that night, we were serving 800 hot meals to the people who were in shelters. There were people in shelters that were literally being flown in by the Coast Guard wet. 
still wet. Wow. Didn't have anything to their name, but the light of Jesus just started to show up through hot meals and through yeah. water and through serving and uh, just so so thankful for the hope that was there in mm-hmm. the midst of the yeah. darkness. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what you and your church have done to be able to just bring hope to the community. But before I go there, I want to kind of circle back to what you said about people swimming from their homes to their neighbor's home that had a second story. You said that one one girl on your team actually swam to a business that she was aware of that had a second story yeah. so that she rode out the storm by herself. And I think it's really easy for people that are listening to have kind of judgment for those people because, yes. because you know, what we're watching on the news is, you know, it, it's time to evacuate. Make sure that you evacuate flood zones. But there are some real reasons why some people may not have evacuated. Can you share that? a little bit with us because I think that's important for our listeners to understand. Thank you for saying that because, I mean, yes, it's so easy to judge, isn't it, when you're not in those shoes or in that situation. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, first of all, the storm came on so quickly. It actually sped up. It came to our shores a lot faster. And so, some of the evacuations were being called for on on Tuesday when curfew was that night at 8 o'clock, like shelter in place by 8 o'clock. And so, there were people who were still working all day on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. You know, getting home from work at five o'clock at night and all of a sudden realizing, wait, we're we're in evacuation zone. I don't have enough time to even gather my things. For other people, they're in medical states. They've got their equipment, their oxygen equipment, things like that set up at their home. And so it's actually much more scary for them to try Mm -hmm. and figure out how to leave or they didn't have enough time to get family members there to help them to leave. And But then you also have people who are actually supposed to be on those islands, like people who are there to actually be there to help others, nurses and other people who were actually left. And there, I think there are a lot of people who had lived through uh, Hurricane Charlie in 2004 and then Hurricane Irma in 2007 who um, had lived through those hurricanes right. in Southwest Florida. And the weather people had been doing what they do best, which is they say, hey, we're, we're probably going to get a storm surge, prepare for a storm surge. And neither one of those storms ever had a storm surge. So, you know, when you get to like the third one, people are like, oh yeah, we've lived through Charlie, we've lived through Irma, never had a storm surge. We've wrote them all out. We've been fine. And this one, it it wasn't that case. It was the deadliest storm since 1935. And the storm surge actually came. And so I do think it it took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, I think so too. And living here in South Florida, hurricanes are on the news starting June 1. We start our hurricane (laughs) preparedness. And and so, Sarah, living in South Florida, we know that there are certain things we do to prepare Mm -hmm. just for the season. Even though you can never actually be ready for something like this, for a disaster like this, there's a lot of ways that we do get prepared. We are told early on to make sure we have batteries and flashlights and water. And we always make sure we have plenty of toilet paper and Pop-Tarts in our garage. (laughs) Those are kind of our supplies there. But in a similar way, I think that that you can never be prepared or ready for a storm spiritually right but there are ways that you can spiritually prepare because you have not only had to lead through feeding distributions food distributions and providing safe place for people just to have a conversation but you've also been there to just be able to help people navigate through the trauma they're walking through and yeah. even though there's no way you could have been ready to do this as a leader. There are ways that you readied yourself 
There are things that you've done over the last several years as I've watched your life. And I'd love, I'd love for you to just kind of speak to that because I think as leaders, and that's what we're talking about, leading through storms, leading through crisis, that there are some things that, that we can do to prepare our hearts, to prepare the way, to be spiritually prepared for something like this, even though we know <laughs> yes. that we're never going to be actually all the way prepared, but we can ready ourselves. So what are some of the things that, that you felt like you personally and that the church did that were actually positioned you to be able to be prepared to bring hope in this season? Well, I think spiritually for us, one of the things has just been continued freedom in Christ and in that being able to be fearless, which uh, I like to define being fearless isn't the absence of fear, but it's Mm -hmm. coming face to face with our fear and choosing to trust God. And so so I think, you know, storms bring on great fear. And uh, of course, right, we're scared, uh, again, in Hurricane Ian for our literal lives or our homes or things like that. But I think spiritually learning to kind of confront that fear was a big deal. Some people even said, why did you and Pastor Matt not evacuate? I was like, well, because we wanted to be here in the aftermath. I mean, our, our home wasn't in a flood zone. We knew we were safe, but you know, we wanted to be here in the aftermath to actually serve and love right. people. And so I think the preparation of being able to just face that fear and choose to trust God no matter what comes was a big deal for us. You know, Jesus has a lot to to say in the midst of storms and he's got a really good track record through storms. <laughs> and so I think continuing just to keep his word alive and making sure that we knew that our foundation was in Jesus, I think has allowed us to just step in. And then the other thing I think that kind of prepared us was on a serving level, we didn't decide to start serving our city once the aftermath hit. We've been serving our city for months and years, and and so it allows us to just live out those core values that are already in us. But it's just got to be to a greater measure because in that moment, you want to just kind of hold up and be like, okay, I just, I'm just thankful my family's alive. Let's just sit here and cry for a while. And it's like, no, we got to serve like Jesus would. We got to get out there. And so I think some of that is having things in place before a storm hits that can actually carry you through once the storm hits. I love that. It's like, do what you already do. Yes. Just do more of it yes. more often, right? <laughs> yes. So there's wisdom in that. You know, I love what you said too, is that you, as a leader, you had to exercise wisdom. Yes. You were in a zone that was not a forced evacuation and a mandatory evacuation. So you exercised wisdom, you prepared your team, mm-hmm. and and then you faced your fear. And I think that is so important. It puts you in position with wisdom and then faith mm-hmm. coupled together, right? Yes. <laughs> so I love that. And there are also some other things I've watched you guys do. You said that the time to serve your city wasn't just when the hurricane hit, but you'd been doing that all along. There's also some other things. I want you just to speak to the power of partnership and relationship, because leading through a storm means you don't lead alone, you know, <laughs> right. and so you can't yes. lead alone. No. And, and there were some partnerships that already existed yes. before. Yes. That before the storm hit, that have actually been pivotal during this season. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I'm so glad you're saying that because when the devastation is so widespread, like we have, you really can feel kind of helpless. Like you're on, I want to do something, but what's in my hand? Who do I know? We had over 47,000 homes destroyed or majorly devastated. Can we just stop? Yeah. Let that sink in. Yes. 47,000 
homes. Yes. And 7,000 businesses. And 7,000 businesses. So that are destroyed, affected, uninhabitable right now. Every number has a name. Yes. <laughs> and a <laughs> Every, lot of them go to our church and, a lot of those, and are yes. in our city. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And our, our family members. And so when the devastation is that widespread, you can kind of feel a little helpless. Like, what's my one little thing going to do? But strength of partnerships has made our heart to serve able to be multiplied. It was on that very first day that a partner from Miami, a global empowerment mission showed up on that same day. Convoy of Hope showed up on that same day. Christ Fellowship is trying to figure out how to get through to us to mm-hmm. send a crew and send items our direction. And so I think that, you know, having those partnerships are so key. Yeah. We couldn't have made those 800 meals on our own. Right. It was because Mercy Chefs was coming in and making their way to one of our churches to so start good. to set up. And we're like, all right, we've got people, you've got the equipment. Let's actually do together what we can't do on our own. That's so good. And we're going to make sure that we link some of these organizations in the show notes, like Mercy Chef and Christ in Action, Action. Action and um, Convoy of Hope. We're going to make sure we link those in there because these are organizations that when disaster hits, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready. They're on the ground coming your direction, just looking for partners who are are actually ready to serve. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. so good. Um, Were there any scriptures like that? You know, we talked about kind of the physical preparation, but... Some of the scriptures that just have carried you through this season because you're not just leading yourself, yes, <laughs> but you're leading a church and you guys are leading in the community. You know, it's so easy to, when you're on a mountaintop or when things are going well, to read certain scriptures and be like, that's so good, right? Mm-hmm. This is a so good podcast. You know, it's yeah. a podcast. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's so good. But man, your faith is really tested when you're in the middle of the storm. And so Romans 8.28, I think for me, over and over again, I just kept quoting it, sharing it to our team. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And I just kept telling myself and sharing with our team that not all things are good. Right. So it doesn't say we know that all things are good. So not all things are good. In this world, you will have trouble. Yes. You will have heartache. Right. You will have mm-hmm. pain. And so it, not all things are good, but in all things, God will work them for good. And so we have to wait out the working and we have to slow down. And so I think for me, Romans 8, 28, and then Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah. And again, this can feel so cliche, but when we right. think about homes being destroyed, people losing their jobs, their livelihood, you know, piles of rubble on the street, and you're ministering to someone who has literally lost everything, being able to declare, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, and to be able to speak that over lives that in the middle of rubble, where it looks like there is no hope, where it looks Mm -hmm. like there is no future, to be able to say, there is a hope. Jesus has a plan for you. He has a future for you. It is bright, although right now this is dark. I think those two scriptures have probably really gotten me and so many of our church families through. You know, Sarah, I love that because you said that can sound cliche. That sounds cliche to us because we know the Word and we're living the Word, but there are 47,000 people out there who need hope, who need to know that God is good, and they Many of them, most of them do not know these scriptures. And so I love that the simplicity of Mm -hmm. when things got 
really stormy and really messy, that God just brought you back to the simplicity mm-hmm. of hope, yes. of His goodness. Yes. And that is, that's so beautiful. And that, that that's what you're there declaring, not a complex message and a right. theological four-point <laughs> no. sermon on why bad things happen to good people, no. you know, but it's, yes. it's just about, we're going to love people that's well. Right. We're going to share the goodness of God in the darkness of this situation. Yep. We're going to be the church. That's right. And just like leaning in, touching a mom on the shoulder and yeah. just telling her, I know this has been so hard, giving her permission to cry, you know? Mm, right. And then just looking at her and saying, listen, you're going to get through this. Right. You were made for this. God's put enough in you for this, and your future is bright. And then just being able to say, we're in this together. Yes. I know this is hard. We're in this together. And right. just letting that hope. So many people are so open to God. Yes. I mean, I, I don't think I've had one person when I say, can I pray for you? Say no. They're all like, yes. Please do, you know? And you're just like, okay, God, you're using the storm to open hearts and bring hope like never before. That's right. And He's going to continue to do that. And Sarah, I'd love to know, you've you've already shared a few things that you've learned through this season, leading through a storm, leading through a crisis. I'd love to hear just maybe some of your takeaways, one or two things that you know that God has just cemented in your heart that you're going to take outside the storm. (laughs) You're going to carry it out of the storm when this storm passes. I think one of them is to just keep seeing people right where they are and meet them right there. So good. And in crisis, it's different sometimes every hour. So it's not just how are you today, it's how are you in this hour, how are you in the next hour. Maybe it's just helping someone with a decision, or maybe it is just a shoulder to cry on or to mourn with someone. I love that the Scripture says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. So in one minute, just meeting someone where they're at, crying with them, but then in the next minute, meeting someone where they're at and rejoicing that they just got power back, right? It's just it's being able to just continue to see people right where they're at, meet them right where they're at and just keep leading them to Jesus. I think for leading myself, it's permission to keep feeling, Mm -hmm. but then the discipline to take up faith. So, you know, of course I'm sad. I'm seeing our city in destruction. Of course there's a lot of unknowns for us as a church family or as a city. Our beaches are gone, you know, close to $7 billion of devastation just in our county. And so there is a lot of unknowns. So giving myself permission to cry, giving myself permission to grieve, giving myself permission to be sad because God is close to the brokenhearted, but then also permission to take up faith. Yes. Like Paul says that we take up the shield of faith. Beautiful. And so, you know, just that permission to feel, but also to take up faith. And so <laughs> letting myself just lose it and cry, but then to like go, okay, Sarah, that the shield of faith may be heavy today, but I have mm-hmm. to choose to pick it up. I've got to choose to stand on God's word. And I think that's going to carry me through the rest of my life. It's all already carried me through. You know, we, we've been singing the song, Christ is my firm foundation, <laughs> the rock on which I yeah. stand. But, you know, the bridge of that song, says, rain came, wind blew, but my house is built on you. And for so many people, they lost their homes, they lost their livelihood, but their foundation is built on Jesus like never before. And so for me, I'm going to take that forever when I sing that song, when I hear that. Not only did the rain come and and blew uh, through our home and through our city, but our foundation is on Jesus Christ. And I know that you know, I, I've just got a view of eternity right now. Like, 
I haven't, you know, ever maybe had before. And just thankfulness that, like, when we see people get saved and come to Jesus, like, this makes a real difference yes. because these are, you know, these are people who, who God loves. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, it's just amazing how light shines brightest mm -hmm. in the darkness. Yeah. Right? If you walk into a light room, when it's light outside with the, a light on, it's a little bit of light, right? <laughs> right. But the contrast mm -hmm. of light and darkness, and you have just set the stage as a church to just bring light into one of the darkest seasons. And I just want you to know that as a sisterhood, as a church, when you talked about raising up the shield of faith, we are raising up that shield of faith with you. We are standing with you. We are for you. We're here for you. And you know, we're going to also put your church's website in the show notes. So if there's anybody out there that wants to just help you guys directly to be able to be a part of rebuilding Fort Myers, rebuilding yeah. this city that I believe is going to see revival Amen. like it's never seen before because of your church and because of the other churches in the area that are that are there, just not just giving a cup of cold water, but giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Yes. And so we're just so proud of you, and we love you guys so mm. much. You know, the the news has kind of moved on. Right. If you turn on the news <laughs> right now, there's not much about the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. But I just want you to know, long after the news cameras leave, we're still with you. Thank you. And how can we pray for you? How can we pray for Fort Myers? Well, you said it. Pray for revival. That yeah. We've been praying for that and believing for that. And so we know that God has trusted us with this storm. And so pray for revival. But for us, practically, I think pray for strength, for continued wisdom, to keep praying against that fear, and that people would stay and want to rebuild rather than run. Pray for practical. Pray for favor with FEMA and insurance claims. Right. For people, pray for financial provision for families in our church and through the rebuilding process. But we are believing for revival that people would turn to Jesus, that our churches would be, yeah. you know, full of hunger for God through this. And I just want to take a moment and honor you, Pastor Julie and Pastor Todd and Christ Fellowship. Thank you for being our pastors. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for sending crews to clean our own homes up. We're all like, we're out there serving. We're not even worried about our own homes, but you sent crews to our houses, to our staff homes, our pastor's homes to clean up trees and debris so that we didn't have to come home to a mess. And so, just thank you. Thank you for being who you are, and thank you for loving us through the storm. We feel that strength. We feel the, the tangible strength of the body of Christ because of you. Well, we love you guys. And most importantly, we sent donuts. Yes. We sent lots of donuts across yes. two and a half hours. And cookie crumble. Or and crumble, crumble cookie. cookies. Crumble. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Those crumble were cookies changing. and donuts. So we just wanted to spread just a little bit of love and joy yes. and, and just, you and know. Groceries. You and groceries. You brought me groceries. But we, we are standing with you. Thank and, you. you know, we're ending every one of these podcasts. This is going to feel like a really sharp turn here. We're ending <laughs> our podcast every time because you guys are just knocking it out of the park right now, leading so strong. But but we're also talking about in this season just leadership fails, like mistakes we've yes. made. And I hate to even bring this up because right now it's like, I just want to encourage you. But I would just love for you to share maybe just one leadership mistake that you've made yes. along the way. And this is just to really bring encouragement to all of our because you're amazing and someone no. says, you know, hey, if 
if she made a mistake and she recovered, I can too. Well, I'm glad you're asking this, to be honest, because I like to describe my leadership journey as if somebody looked up and were like, well, look, she's standing on a mountain. I'm like, the mountain is just a bunch of failures and mistakes that every single time I fell, I just decided I wasn't going to stay down. Right. I was going to learn from it. I was going to grow. I was going to stand back up. I was going to stomp on it, and I was going to move on. There we go. And so I, I love that you're asking this, and I knew you were going to ask it, and I was like, I have so many. <laughs> I have so many. So I just prayed, and I was like, which one am I supposed to share? And so I actually felt like I was just supposed to share about my leadership mistake as a mom. I really struggle with perfection early on, and really probably for my whole life. And so one of my mistakes as a mom was being way more concerned with a clean house way more concerned with my boys being put together, way more concerned with what people thought about us. And I put unnecessary pressure on myself and on them. Mm -hmm. And if I could do it all over again, I would, but I just thank God for His grace. But one day the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I needed to change my countenance. And here's what He showed me. I felt like God showed me that when I walked into a room, I saw everything that was wrong. I saw everything that needed to be fixed, including with my boys. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to change your countenance, and instead you need to see everything that is right, yeah. everything that is good. And I made that change, that leadership change in, in being a mom, and instead of seeing what was wrong or what needed to be fixed, I started to walk in and I would smile. I would wow. raise my eyebrows and I would smile. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm maybe the back of my mind, I'm like, oh no, I need to fix the shoe, I need to do that, that I went, I'm not going to do that. I'm going right. to say, hey, Will, I love you. Hey, Drew. I'm so proud of you. You're so handsome. You're amazing. I'm going to lift my eyebrows. I'm going to be smiling. I'm going to speak life into you because all of that other stuff, it's going to fade. And it made a complete change in my leadership as a mom. So I love that. And I think that you can carry that with you in every single area of leadership yes. that you walk into, yes. every room you walk <laughs> yes. into. Because the truth is, if you have a tendency to see, you know, to be a critical thinker, which there's nothing right. wrong with that. That's how God created us. However, that if you have that tendency to be able to make that shift, it's a discipline. Yes. It's a muscle that we that we exercise and that we can we can speak so much words of life and encouragement over people and our leadership. They're going to go further, faster. And that's really yes. what it's all about, is bringing others along the journey and allowing them to go further, faster. And I love that. And I'm going to take that with me <laughs> out of here. But Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. I've learned so much. And I'm actually just so glad because you're going to jump in a car in just a couple of hours. You've only been here for 24 hours. You're going to head back to Fort Myers. But I just want you to know that as, as a sisterhood, as a church, we're praying with you. We're with you heart and soul. And we cannot wait to partner with you to see what God's going to do in the community of Fort Myers in the days ahead. We love Amen. you so much. Love you. We're so glad you joined us today for the So Good Sisterhood podcast. For additional resources and show notes from today's episode, check out our website, sogoodsisterhood.com. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but He's always doing a new thing. What step are you going to take today so you don't miss out on it? If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend or just leave us a comment. We hope today's episode leaves you feeling so good.